preach. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Dane. I am the family pastor here, and like Lisa said, we're so glad you're here this morning. We are in a very, very long series through the Gospel of John, uh, and we're going to do things a little differently today. I'm going to spend an unusual amount of time giving, uh, setting up context for our text today because we have a very long and complicated text Today, and I'm going to do my very, very best to not give a very long and complicated sermon, (laughs) okay? Um, And so after a little bit, by the way, if you're a middle schooler this morning, hey, you don't have to stand up or anything, but we're so glad you're here. Our middle schoolers are out on a uh, a mission trip this week, so we're so glad you're here with us this morning. Um, So we're going to actually do the thing where we all stand up to read together, not for a little while, but we're still going to do that, okay? We're going to stretch our legs like in the middle of the sermon, okay? So... We are in John chapter 7, but let me give a little bit of context here. Uh, Today we we reach what we might call the lowest point of Jesus' professional career, besides being crucified, okay? Uh, Other than that, the lowest point of Jesus' professional career. He's going to head to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, whichever you want to call it. Uh, But the last time he was in Jerusalem for a feast, Jesus uh, healed a man who could not walk uh, for 38 years. A man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, the trouble was not that he healed the man, but when he healed the man, right? He healed the man on a Saturday, which is a big no-no. That's the Sabbath, right? According to the law, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But in his own defense... Uh, verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus said, well, my father is working until now, so I am working, which sounded just as crazy to them (laughs) as it does to us. Uh, And so in 518, it said, this is why the Jews, that is the authorities in Jerusalem, were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so this sparks a debate that Pastor Joe walked us through last week. After this debate, where they're seeking to kill Jesus, he escapes back across the Sea of Galilee, because it's not his time to die yet, uh, to lay low for a while, which you could say that he sort of fails to do, because while laying low, he ends up feeding an army of 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two pickled fish, And what does the army do in response to this? They try and make him king. They make him king by force. But Jesus resists that temptation and he withdraws further into hiding. But they find him again and uh, they ask him to perform another sign. But this time, you know, the multiplication was cool. But what if you gave us bread straight from heaven? Like that would really be the thing. That would really do the trick. Why don't you do that, Jesus? And Jesus responds by saying, I am the bread. That came down from heaven. And this is just too much. Okay, it's too much for the leaders. And so they begin to grumble. It's a key word for our sermon today. They begin to grumble against Jesus. But Jesus doesn't appease their grumbling. He simply doubles down and says, yeah, I'm the bread. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood also. And now even his disciples are like, oh, okay, like this, <laughs> this is too much. This is a hard saying. And it gets so bad that all but the original 12 disciples turn back and stop following Jesus. 
And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to go away as well? And chapter 6 ends with Jesus saying, well, even one of you 12 is a devil, referring <laughs> to Judas. And so, in a very short period of time, Jesus has gone from being the one everyone is hyped about, everyone is talking excitedly about, to the one everyone is grumbling about. He has gone from rock star influencer to pariah. Everyone's demanding a public apology. He has 12 followers on Twitter and the police are after him. <laughs> okay, it's been a quick fall for Jesus. Everyone is excited. Now everyone is grumbling about him, even seeking to kill him. So now, at the beginning of chapter 7, even Jesus' own family is, like, concerned, okay? Uh, his brothers, in fact, hatch a plan, you know? They're like, we have a plan for you, Jesus. That always goes well, right? We have a plan for you, Jesus. It's the Feast of Booths. It's the biggest feast of the year, right? Everyone's going to be there. All your old disciples are going to be there. You know what you got to do, Jesus? You know what would really be the thing? You're out here in the backwoods working miracles. Why don't you get into Jerusalem at the feast, and why don't you do some of your miracles there and win your base back, right? That would be the thing. But Jesus refuses that temptation. Show yourself to the world, they say. Go to the temple and do something spectacular. Notice, by the way, that we're getting something like John's version of the devil's temptation in the wilderness here, right? Give us bread, be our king, and then go to the temple and do something spectacular, right? It's kind of John's version, but Jesus resists the devil's temptation to gain power in the world's way. He says, it is not my time. I do what the Father tells me to do in his timing, not what you tell me to do in your timing, your anxiety, your opportunism. Jesus is, in modern terms, what we might call a well-differentiated leader. A well-differentiated leader, meaning he knows exactly who he is and who he is not. He is not driven at all by the anxieties or the expectations of authority figures. He is not driven by the anxieties and the expectations of the crowds. He's not even driven by the anxieties of his own disciples or his own family. He is driven by the Spirit of God. He is driven by his heavenly Father. And so that's where we will pick up verse 10 of chapter 7. If you have a Bible, uh, there's one in the pew for you if you want. We're on page 893. Or you can follow along up here. We're going to be reading a very long passage of Scripture. So why don't we stand on up, Valley Community Church, and let's honor God by honoring the reading of his word. So this is... John chapter 10, verse 7, or sorry, John chapter 7, verse 10, dyslexic this morning, uh, and we are going to read all the way to verse 36. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? Where is he? Where's Jesus? And there was much muttering, same word, by the way, as grumbling, we'll talk about that, much grumbling about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others say, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, the authority figures, no one spoke openly of him. 
Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, the Father's. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory or honor. But the one who seeks, to, seeks the glory, the honor of him who sent him is true. That's a faithful messenger. Okay? And in him there's no falsehood. Hasn't Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answers, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work. That's the healing of the man on the Sabbath. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It's our key verse today. Verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Isn't this the man whom they're trying to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, literally cried out, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me, his father, is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. That's the word grumbling again. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then warned, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me, his father. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? May God bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat. All right. Welcome, Steve. Okay, so uh, remember Jesus' brothers, they say, you know, hey, you should go to the feast and you should work some miracles, effectively do a publicity stunt to win your base back, right? And Jesus refuses their suggestion, uh, but then a few days later, he follows God's direction to go up and teach. And he goes alone and secretly, okay? This is, this is not the Palm Sunday parade, okay? He goes in alone and unnoticed. The disciples are not even mentioned, Anywhere in all of John 7 and 8, Jesus is alone. He just slips in unnoticed, like, like Steve just did. <laughs> it just slips right in. And here are two key things. Um, 
I want us to pay attention to in uh, verses 10 through 13. Uh, The first one is this question. Where is he? Where is he? John doesn't waste ink. He wants us to meditate a little bit on that question. He could have just said they're looking for him. But he adds, they're asking this question, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? We're going to answer that question in a little bit. Come back to that. The second thing is this word, muttering. The word muttering, which I mentioned, is a bit of an unfortunate translation choice. Sometimes it's whispering or complaining, things like that. Uh, But, you know, if you look at the Greek, it's just the exact same word that's been there in 6 and 7. What the authorities do, what the disciples do. It's the same word in the other Gospels where people grumble about Jesus. Which, of course, if if you're familiar with the whole story of the Bible, it's a very deliberate callback to the way that the Israelites grumbled about Moses in the wilderness. And there's all these allusions to to Moses in these passages, okay, in references to Moses. So notice that word grumbling. The, The big idea of our message today is that Jesus confronts our grumbling. That's the biggest, that's the the big idea. Jesus confronts our grumbling. And what we shouldn't miss is that in chapters 5 through 8, what we have is like the steady growth of grumbling spreading like a cancer throughout Israel. It's a steady growth of grumbling that's just getting louder and louder and louder and louder, and Jesus confronts it. And so today we're going to talk about two things. One, where does grumbling come from, and where does it lead? Where does grumbling come from and where does it lead and number two how can we follow jesus out of grumbling and into leading out of grumbling and into leading because we have a choice we can be grumblers or we can be leaders we can be grumblers or we can be leaders you you have influence you have influence and following jesus means becoming a leader in your sphere of influence, in your sphere of influence. But we have to start, or make a fresh start maybe today, with allowing Jesus to confront our grumbling hearts. Allowing Jesus to confront our grumbling. So let's do that. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's quiet vibes in here today, you know, so let's get the Jesus flowing. All right. Uh, So I'm going to center on verse 24 today. We don't have time to go through every verse of this. Um, Verse 24, which reads like this, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is the interpretive key to all of John 7 and John 8, which we're going to be in for the next three weeks. It it could even be the subtitle of the Gospel of John. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What does Jesus mean? Let's work our way there. Remember, everyone's grumbling about him. Authorities, crowds, disciples, everyone's grumbling about Jesus. And Jesus responds how? He responds by heading into the temple in the middle of the feast. This is the time when the numbers would be largest. Everyone would be there, and he doesn't begin working miracles. He begins teaching. And everyone's baffled, right? Everyone's baffled by his wisdom. Why? Because he doesn't have the proper credentials. You know, he, he, he didn't go to Jerusalem University. He didn't go to seminary. So where is he getting this expertise? Where is he getting this knowledge? I had to think about this for a moment. You know, in our day, anybody can, you know, hop on Wikipedia, 
you know, read some blogs, and then make a YouTube video and sound like an expert on virtually anything, right? It's kind of a big problem, actually, right now, okay? But in first century Palestine, it wasn't like that at all. Like, only the cream of the crop could attend the elite rabbinical schools, right? So, so the idea of sounding like an authority without actually being an authority was nearly impossible, right? That's why everyone is so baffled here. So the authorities, judging by appearances, make a pretty reasonable conclusion that Jesus must be just spouting off his own ideas, right? He's just a maverick out there, you know? And so he doesn't have the proper training, and so we don't have to listen to him. Even though, you know, the voice of the Father thundered from heavens at, at his baptism, this is my beloved son, listen to him. They're like, uh, he doesn't have the credentials. He's not an authority, we're the authorities, so we don't have to listen to him. And, you know, judging by appearances, they're, they're, they seem to be right. Now, something to notice over and over again is that the authorities and the crowds, who do they grumble to? They grumble to one another. Right? They grumble to one another. That's, that's what grumbling is. Right? It's triangulating, grumbling to one another. But what does Jesus do? He speaks directly to them. In the middle of his teaching, he cries out right, and speaks directly to them. He doesn't like step, step back and go grumble to Peter and John. Can you imagine these grumblers? Ugh, so annoying. Right? Jesus doesn't do that. He goes and speaks directly to them. He confronts their grumbling publicly. He brings their shady whispers up into the light so that they can maybe examine the, the faulty assumptions underneath their grumbles. He says, you know what, I, th I think there's a possibility you haven't considered here. What if my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me? It's a repre repeated phrase, oh, his who sent me. Right, the fact that I don't have your credentials means either I'm spouting my ideas or it means my teaching, Jesus says, is directly from God. And if that's the case, then your credentials are pretty worthless now, aren't they? And how can you know? How can they know? What bar are you going to judge God by? <laughs> there isn't one. There isn't one. So this moment of crisis descends. Jesus effectively says, if you don't know, then you don't know God. <laughs> I'm God's word. I'm God's message. If you knew the speaker, if you knew the messenger, you would recognize me. Jesus, notice, has completely turned the tables on them. Right? He's pushing them to a crisis of decision. You can't remain neutral on Jesus. Is he sent by God or is he a nut? <laughs> is he sent by God or is he just a fraud? They have to make a choice. They, they came to arrest Jesus and now they're on trial. And then Jesus shifts, verse 19, to the actual issue everyone is grumbling about. Him healing a man on the Sabbath. And he says, listen, okay, you, you guys know the law, right? You're the, you're the experts. Moses is your guy, right? You, you know the law. Okay, so um, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? Okay, so what day are we supposed to uh, circumcise baby boys again? Yeah, okay, the eighth day. Right. So now, what do we do when the eighth day comes on the Sabbath? What do we do then? And they're like, uh, well, we go to work. Yeah, you go to work. So you're actually willing to break your interpretation of the law in order to fulfill the law. Like, you're willing to break the Sabbath to snip off a little bit of a man's body. 
But now you're mad at me for healing a man's whole body on a day meant for rest and healing. You see how he's, he's, he's getting underneath their superficial judgment of him as a lawbreaker? He's saying, look, if you thought about it for a moment, right, you would see that you would see that I am not breaking the law, I am fulfilling it. And then maybe you would see that I am Lord even of the Sabbath. And if you saw that, you would not be grumbling about me. You would not be seeking to kill me. You would be coming to me for healing. Come to me and find rest. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Are we following the logic here? How central this is to the passage? Okay. So all grumbling, all grumbling comes from judging by appearances. We're going to talk a lot about this. All Grumbling comes from judging by appearances. That's where it comes from. And real quickly, where does it lead? Murder. (laughs) It leads to murder. Okay? The authorities know this, right? They were grumbling earlier. Now they're seeking to kill him. And Jesus just calls it out to the crowd. They're still in stage one grumbling. Okay? It's not that serious yet. Right? But Jesus calls it out. And he's like, why are you seeking to kill me and break the law? They're like, whoa. Whoa. You have a demon who's trying to kill you, bud. You know, like, calm down. But Jesus is calling it out, right? He knows this same Jerusalem crowd is going to be shouting for his blood at Passover, right? And so he calls it out early. He catches it early. Grumbling begins with judging by appearances. Grumbling ends in violence. Grumbling kills people. Grumbling kills communities. Grumbling kills marriages. Grumbling kills relationships. Grumbling kills potential in people, Grumbling kills. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if, you, if you're just angry with your brother, just muttering under your breath, I'm an idiot, you are liable to hell. <laughs> As C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce, hell begins with a grumbling mood. She's in my Lewis group, so she knew. Uh, hell begins with a grumbling mood and grows and grows and grows. And unfortunately, what does this do? It just sets off more grumbling. Okay, more grumbling from the crowd in 25 to 31 about Jesus' origins. And then the Pharisees, they, they hear the grumbling and seeing their opportunity, they send the temple police to arrest him. But it's not yet his time, so Jesus says, listen, I'm only here a little longer. I'm only here a little longer. I'm going somewhere you cannot follow. So this revelation, this chance to make a right judgment on Jesus whether he is sent from God, is, is not going to last forever. It's not an offer that stands forever. But sadly, the pattern of superficial judgment, it just continues. Right? Superficial judgment of Jesus. He can't be from God. He's from Nazareth. Right? He can't be from God. We're, supposed to know where he, we're not supposed to know where he comes from. Right? Or what does he mean he's going somewhere? Is he going, is he going on vacation? Is he moving? Is he going to teach the Greeks? What's going on here? Superficial judgment and the grumbling just gets louder and louder and louder. Jesus confronts our grumbling to help us see that all grumbling comes from judging by appearances. Um, so let's search ourselves now for a moment. Let's return to that question, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? The answer to that question, right, is not somewhere in Galilee or Jerusalem a long time ago. The answer is right in the midst of them. And the answer to that question for us always is right in the midst of us. He is right here. He is not far. Jesus is here. And the answer to the question that many ask, you know, who are the Jews in the Gospel of John? It's not, you know, people of a different religion who lived a long time ago. It's God's people whenever we miss God in our midst. 
God's people when we miss God in their midst. This is not a story about grumbling people who misjudged Jesus a long time ago. This is about us. So where is Jesus? He's right here in our midst to heal us. And we grumble. So like, let's, you know, what, what situation in your life are you grumbling about right now? Maybe it was five situations this morning, right? What person, what relationship, what timing in your life are you grumbling about? What, what change are you grumbling about? Let's get even deeper. Like what, what pattern of thought, what bad habit, what painful feeling that you just want to go away are you grumbling about? What worries are you grumbling about? This story I want us to see bears directly on that situation. It bears directly on that situation. Jesus not only just knows about it, he is in it. He is present in that situation, that relationship, that thought, that feeling, that desire. And his aim is to bring you closer to him for healing. Jesus poured out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, on all flesh. We are always in an encounter with Jesus. There's nowhere, there's no situation, no relationship, no thought, no feeling, nowhere that we can flee from the presence of Jesus. The problem is not the lack of the presence of Jesus. The problem is our awareness. He is here. He's in the midst of us. All grumbling begins when we miss that. We miss that. It happens all the time <laughs> by judging by appearances. So let's, let's dig even a little deeper into how this works. Something happens. It could be anything. Really like anything, and what do we do? We judge it as bad. This is a bad thing that has happened to me, right? This is a bad thing that I am feeling. This is a bad, whatever it is, it's a bad, bad thing. And so we become like the Pharisees, I need to arrest it and kill it. (laughs) I need to stop it, and we can't. We're not God, so what do we do? We grumble, we grumble, we grumble, we grumble. Or, even more sneaky, Something enters our life, and we're like, this is good. This is a good thing. And then what happens? Now I deserve it all the time. (laughs) I want it to keep happening. Jesus gives bread. What do they say? Sir, give us this bread always. (laughs) Isn't that us? Like the good times happen, and we just want them to roll, baby. They don't do that, you know? Just things just happen, right? Good things, bad things happen, Jesus refuses to do our bidding and keep the good thing going so we get bitter and we grumble and we grumble and grumble. We're just as likely to grumble because something good happened in our life a while back as something bad happening. It's just life I'm describing right now, right? This is life. This is our life all the time. It's not eternal life. It's just life. Every moment in our life is an opportunity fellowship with Jesus, but we're too busy judging it as a good moment or a bad moment. And we miss him. We judge by appearances. We grumble. Grumbling comes from judging by appearances. Judging by appearances. Rather than slowing down, suspending judgment, in order to judge with right judgment, how this, like even that, is sent from God for our healing. And we choose the broad road rather than the narrow road to healing. All right. 
So how can we follow Jesus out of grumbling and into leading? Because this is what leaders do, right? We exercise right judgment. We exercise right judgment. Three things. Number one, resist grumbling. Resist grumbling. Recognize and resist the urge to grumble. You're like, duh. (laughs) Duh. But really, do you confront your own grumbles? Like, do you confront them? Do you say it out loud? This is a grumble. When you want to grumble to someone, maybe confess that you want to grumble (laughs) to them, right? Or confess that you grumble. Call it what it is. Like, this is a cancer that will kill my soul, Lord. This is a disease that will spread, very contagious, and it will harm others. Call it what it is. You know, I, I find it like the strangest thing. I preached on grumbling actually pretty recently. It was like last year in the book of Numbers. And like so many people came up to me and were like, ah, I'm such a grumbler. What? I'm such a grumbler. Like no one does that with other sins, you know, because they don't want to be a sinner. But we don't even, we don't really think grumbling's a sin. It's the root of all the sins, okay? It's the root of all sins. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's the root of all sin. I'm not exaggerating, right? Because we say, I I don't believe Jesus is in this. (laughs) So I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'm going to grumble to someone else about it. And it can be the most minor thing. You can be a grumbler or you can follow Jesus. I'll be less mean. You, You can be a grumbler or you can be a leader, Okay? You can be a grumbler or you can be a kingdom leader. And listen, many leaders in title are the worst grumblers. <laughs> right? Because what do we do? We grumble about grumbling. <laughs> we grumble about other people's grumbling. We're like, you know, it's like our team or our volunteers or our boss or the board or our kids or <laughs> whatever it is. We grumble about the grumbling of others, so we're extra blind to it, and then pretty quickly we cease to be a leader in anything other than a title because nobody respects a grumbler. Nobody respects a grumbler. Okay? So that's step one. Grumbling is cancer. Name it. Catch it early. Call it what it is. Recognize it and resist it. Number two, embrace lament. Embrace lament. Uh, it's a form of prayer. Okay? Some of you might be thinking as we're talking about this, like, so what, am I just never supposed to be frustrated with anything ever again, (laughs) you know? No, of course not, right? Jesus experienced the whole range of negative human emotion, anger, sadness, disappointment, want. He experienced all of it, suffering, and he lamented. He never grumbled. Lament is as far from grumbling as gossip is from prayer. Okay, they're completely different beasts. Lament is bringing your pain to God. In private, sometimes in the presence of others, bringing your pain to God. You know what grumbling is? Grumbling's like burdening others with your theories as to who's to blame for your pain. It's a very different thing. Burdening others with your opinions about why this happening is someone's out to get you, whatever, right? Very different thing. The other is bringing... Like, like, let's talk about the most obvious example we have, the best example we have, Jesus going to the cross. Jesus going to the cross. He wept and he prayed in the presence of his disciples. Lord, take this. Take this from me. Father, I don't want this. Anything but this. Please. That's not grumbling. Anything but this. Like, I'm having a really hard time seeing how this is for my healing. 
I'm having a really hard time. Please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then he goes to the cross in peace, without a grumble, even praying for forgiveness for those who are crucifying him. And like what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a Christian was to to not judge the cross by appearances, by the obviously bad thing that it was, but to judge with right judgment, wait, this is the love of God. This is the Son of God. And this is the love of God. And we're to learn to even begin to see our own crosses and losses the same way as opportunities for fellowship with Jesus. See, when we resist grumbling, everything, everything becomes an opportunity for prayer. You see how that works, right? Like one of our apprenticeship practices is unceasing prayer. Talking to God first and most about everything. You're like, how do I pray without ceasing? Well, every single thing that happens is an opportunity to grumble or to pray. <laughs> I mean, really, everything. Killing grumbling gives birth to prayer, and prayer further kills grumbling. All right, number three, finally, confront grumblers. Confront grumblers. This one takes the longest to learn to do well, I think. Um, after you res- learn to resist your own grumbling, and the order really matters, right? <laughs> like take the log out before coming to the spec. Um, after you learn to resist your own grumbling and embrace lament and prayer, now is the time to confront grumbling in your team, right? In your kids, in your volunteers, whatever, whatever it is. Confront grumbling. Leaders confront grumblers. This is what Jesus does. Everyone's grumbling. Everyone's grumbling. He heads right into the midst of it and confronts it. Not by being like, hey, you bunch of grumblers, stop it. <laughs> you know? What does he do? He asks direct questions. Are you offended? We could just ask that question. Are you offended? Do you, do you want to go away as well? Hasn't Moses given you the law? Why are you seeking to kill me? Huh? <laughs> Why are you seeking to kill me? Are you angry with me? Are you angry with me? You just ask direct questions. So I want to ask you, like, what grumbling are you managing in your sphere of influence right now rather than confronting? We all have our ways of managing grumbling based on our personalities and who's doing the grumbling. I was thinking about this. I sometimes think of, like, like there's a grumble meter somewhere at the church, and my job is not to let it get too loud. Okay, it's like, you know, and it like grumbling pops up somewhere or in my inbox and I got, I got to go make the person feel better. Like that's what I do, okay? It's not confronting grumbling, it's just appeasing. Some of us, we just think if we just ignore the grumbling, it'll just go away, you know? So we'll do things, but we won't like directly come at it. Leaders confront grumbling. We must learn to bring grumbling into the light and ask some hard questions to get at the superficial judgment underneath it. Help people in, in our life make a, make a right judgment. You know, what, what are we resisting here? What, what reality are we resisting here? Where might there be some learning? Where might there be some healing here? What might Jesus be up to? This is the path. This is the path. If you take it, it's narrow, but it's the path to healing and leadership. I just want to close by saying, grumbling, yes, it spreads like a cancer, and it kills But one person, one person honestly, like in a family, in a church, in a team at work, one person who begins to confront their own grumbling can can bring healing, 
transformation to the entire system. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. So what about you, right? You can be a grumbler or you can be a kingdom leader. You can be a grumbler, you can be a kingdom leader, you can't be both. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for the goodness and mercy of hard things that happen to us, Lord. Help us to have the eyes to see that everything that happens is an opportunity for deeper fellowship with you. Give us the courage, Lord, before pointing out grumbling others, confronting our own grumbling hearts. Give us the courage to do that, Lord, to resist that. Lord, help us to lean in and embrace lament, to follow you in that, Lord, to bring our pain, to bring our frustrations to you in solitude and silence and stillness and wait on you. Your scripture says those who wait on you will renew their strength. Help us to believe that, Lord. And God, if you've called us to, give us wisdom for who we might confront in our life, God, about a pattern of grumbling. Give us wisdom to do that, that we might be agents of healing and transformation, that we might be kingdom leaders in our sphere of influence. God, I pray VCC would be a church full of kingdom leaders, that God, just being here, you couldn't help. Lord, that lots of grumblers would come in, but this would be a place that is transforming where your presence is felt, where we are aware of presence, where we're looking for your presence, where we're pointing others to what you are doing in our lives. We're bearing witness, Lord. We need you for this. We are not sufficient for these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and we pray that uh, the rest of our time would bring joy to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.